Welcome back to Seeking Rents, the podcast. I'm your host, Jason Garcia. I am the publisher of Seeking Rents. That is a newsletter in Florida where we explore the ways big businesses and other special interests influence public policy, um, particularly in the Florida legislature, which just wrapped up day 45 of its 60-day legislative session. Um, that means we are officially three quarters of the way through this thing. Um, so this is going to be just uh, uh, another daily update from day 45. And uh, uh, we're going to do uh, quite a bit of raw politics right off the top because um, there's some fascinating uh, leg- legislative strategy happening right now. Um, and let's uh, let me start by sort of dialing the day back to the morning where Florida Governor Ron DeSantis decided to hold a, a press event at Walt Disney World in the offices of the the governing district down there, the thing that used to be known as the Reedy Creek Improvement District before Ron DeSantis essentially seized control of it uh, amid his fight with uh, with Walt Disney World and the Walt Disney Company and renamed it the the Central Florida Tourism Oversight District. Um, you know, it is uh, it is not entirely clear what the point of this press conference was, other than kind of a sort of somewhat sad attempt to uh, gin up more uh, more media coverage of his fight with Disney, just because you know at one point at least that was catnip for the news media. Um, you know, I I do somewhat worry my man is out of ideas because this is, comes just a few days after he did yet yet another COVID event. Uh, he is he is playing the hits, man. Um, I am somewhat curious if uh, the last time anybody heard Ron DeSantis come up with a new idea on property insurance um, seems like a while since uh, that's been a thing he's talked about with any sort of intentionality. Um, but anyway, the 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 stated purpose of this press event was largely irrelevant because because during it, he got asked about what has become, politically speaking, probably the most interesting bill of the legislative session, and that is House Bill 1. We've talked about this a few times before, but this is the bill that uh, could ban most ki- ban kids under the age of 16 in Florida from having social media accounts. And I, I say could because it's not like a flat out ban. It essentially it it bans kids from social media if those platforms use a bunch of use any of certain features like infinite scroll. So, I mean, as things stand now, it would be a ban, but presumably uh, social media companies could uh, could make changes that that would allow kids to keep their accounts. Um, regardless, uh, this has become an interesting bill in part because, um, you know, it's become controversial uh, in part because there it's a, it, there is no sort of parental choice here. It's essentially if if social media platforms use these features or have these features, then kids cannot be on them. The kids under 16 cannot be on them. Doesn't matter if uh, if they're parent, if they've got parents permission or anything like that. And this is the place where Ron DeSantis has um, has decided to sort of uh, stake out some differences with the legislature. He's he's never sort of outright said he's going to veto it, but he's been pretty skeptical about it and certainly implied that he's got problems with it, particularly as long as it doesn't include some some sort of override for if, if a parent says it's OK, then it's OK. Um, you know, a couple of folks have started noticing, noting that Ron DeSantis is coming out um somewhat strongly on this bill. He's got sort of a, a pretty well-established relationship with Elon Musk, the owner of Twitter. And yes, it is still called Twitter as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, regardless, this has set up a really interesting dynamic because this is the, this House Bill 1, as you might be able to guess by the number, is the top priority of the House Speaker, Paul Renner, a Republican from from Jacksonville. And it's it's just sort of kept moving with this, this fundamental issue of whether or not uh, there should be like a parental override unaddressed. And, you know, I, I have not 
dove into this legislation deeply. It's just not you know, plenty of people covering it. Doesn't it doesn't need me to come along as well. So I, I can't really vouch for the accuracy of the legal arguments. But but the argument here that you hear from the House is that if you if you put a parental override in there or a parental option in there, that you end up like undermining the whole thing. That you know, if the premise of this ban is that social media is poison for kids' brains, then you can't allow you can't allow parents to to give their kids poison. You know, if it was an actual bottle of poison that you know, we prohibited ingestion, we wouldn't allow parents to like choose to let their kids ingest it. So that that's the dynamic at play. Anyway, back to this press conference. So Ron DeSantis gets gets asked about this, and again, he kind of throws cold water on the bill. Um, he says, you know, it's still not there yet, and then he says, you know. He claims that he is still negotiating with the legislature on it. He said, uh, quote, it's still under negotiation. We're working to make sure that there's a role for parents, right? So this is uh, this is kind of like 11 a.m. or so when that happens. Uh, a few hours later, the House has passed the bill as is, right? And it sent it straight to the governor. So uh, so much for the negotiations there. But, but why this is interesting is, um, you know, we are in week seven of the nine week legislative session. And when when the legislature passes a bill while they are still in session, um, that that creates uh, that that changes the time frames involved. So so presuming the legislature actually sends it to the governor and, and House Speaker Paul Renner said yesterday they're going to. That means the governor is going to have one week to decide whether or not to sign or veto it. And why is that significant? Because the legislature will still be in session afterwards. So if he vetoes it, there could be, um, you know, there's time and everybody's available to, for instance, attempt to override the veto. Or, you know, the governor presumably has a number of things in play with the legislature that he wants passed, budget he wants funding for, or that he wants proposals that he's come on board with. You know, the legislature still has those all up in the air. They have some control there. So the fact that you are forcing the governor to act Quickly, more quickly than you normally would on a bill, and you are doing it while you are in session is really fascinating, and it's especially interesting here because because um, of the timing of this. It's not just in session; they they did it at the end of week seven. And why is that important? Because they haven't finalized the budget yet, and so the budget, without getting too into the weeds, the, 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 there's some the budget's the one bill that has to pass, and it usually ha it has to get wrapped up a few days early, just because there's a there's something known as a cooling off period where the budget has to sit on everybody's desk for for seventy two hours before they can vote on it, right? And the budget is the one place where you have the most flexibility to negotiate, both both with the governor's office when he wants funding for certain things, but also with all sorts of individual legislators. Because you know every every legislator requests money for like dozens of local projects that are important to their districts or to you know, sometimes to donors in their districts. Um, and and you you have well the budget is still open well it is before it has been finalized. You have the ability to to essentially use budget projects as as bargaining chips or as as uh you know carrots to uh carrots or sticks to uh to recruit people on so think about the the seven the seven day time frame the budget has to be closed basically basically just at the end just after week eight ends is essentially the way the timeline works so they're sending this bill to the governor just before the end of week seven which means he's going to need to act before the end of week eight which means the budget will still be open and so you start to think through, okay, what if he vetoes it and you need to legislatively override? You're going to have to come up with two-thirds votes to do that. Having the budget still open is a really powerful tool for trying to recruit and convince legislators to support an override. Um, 
I, I honestly have no idea how this is going to play out. I'm, I'm really interested. I think if I were a, a betting person on this and, and my political predictions almost always turn out to be wrong, I would expect Ron DeSantis signs this bill and finds some sort of face saving excuse like, uh, you know, this is a uh, this is so important to the to to the speaker. And, you know, we've worked together out of respect for him. I'm going to sign it and we'll see what happens. Find some sort of face saving excuse. I, I could be wrong. This is a uh, this is really interesting. It is pretty rare to see this kind of uh, this kind of uh, showdown in a legislative session between the legislature and a governor, where the the legislature decides to uh, to actively jam the governor and force his hand before uh, before they have to. Um, you know, on the on the flip side, you, you know, Paul Renner is the Speaker of the House. Kathleen Pasadoma, Republic from Naples, is. Um, is the president of the Senate. And they've been telling everybody who listen for a while now that they get along great and they work together great. And, and this would suggest they, they, uh, they really do. That's not, they're, they're not just talking. Cause it, here's the other thing that, that happened. If, if house bill one, if the social media ban or potential ban for kids is, uh, is the top priority of, of the house speaker, the top priority for the Senate president, um, presumably has always been this big package of healthcare bills. Um, uh, mostly oriented around like creating a more supply of healthcare providers, um, and you know, to my knowledge, nothing in in her package, her big, she calls it the Live Healthy package, is um, is too controversial. The, the the big issue with it is very, the, she wants a lot of funding for it. It's about seven hundred million dollars in funding, so that's nearly a billion dollars for this, and that that's to pay for stuff like providing increased residency slots for doctors at at uh, you know, at medical schools or at, for, for training doctors at, for folks after their, after medical school and putting, you know, extra dollars and more money into loan forgiveness programs for various healthcare providers. Um, you know, so there's, there's a lot of money that she needs in this. Um, that that's probably the biggest chunk of that. And, and so, so if the main bill for live healthy is Senate bill 7016 and the main bill for the, for the, the house is obviously house bill one. If you look at the time frame. The Senate, uh, which was the sort of skeptical chamber on House Bill One, passed uh, passed House Bill One yesterday, just about ten a.m. Right, and like a few hours later, the House uh, passed Senate Bill seventy sixteen. Right, so it seems pretty clear that they decided to to work together here. Now, both of those bills are going on to the governor. Um, Senate Bill seventy sixteen, like I said, is probably less controversial. I don't think people are thinking Ron DeSantis might veto that bill, but he's probably assuming they they formally send it to him. He's going to have to act on that too. Um, you know, if, if he ends up vetoing them both, uh, things have gone way off the rails. Uh, like, like I said, it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating. The other thing about, uh, live local we have, or live healthy, I'm sorry, the, the Senate's healthcare package, it, it's probably, it does a bunch of other stuff too. Like for instance, it would, um, you know, it would help clear the way for like foreign trained physicians to practice in Florida. And then it's got some, some money and proposals there that are, that are meant to steer people without insurance away from hospital emergency rooms and into like charitable clinics and stuff like that. It is, uh, it is most notable and it has been all through the process for what it doesn't do though. It does not provide for Medicaid expansion. So, you know, uh, you know, there's still going to be nearly a million Floridians who lack healthcare insurance, um, even with live healthy passing. Um, so that's really interesting to, to, to watch how this plays out, particularly with house bill one, I think is, uh, Politically speaking, probably the the biggest test we've seen yet, uh, or this will be the biggest test yet of just how diminished Ron DeSantis is since uh, since he got crushed by Donald Trump in the uh, the Republican presidential campaign. You know, maybe maybe everybody finds sort of a face saving way out of this ditch, but boy, it's uh, 
it's pretty interesting to see a legislature get to this point, particularly one that has been, you know, so cowed by the governor for the last three or so years. Um, and then, so I'm going to mention just uh, one other bill along these veins because it's really interesting in uh, this context too. And this is um, Senate Bill 814. I don't think I've ever talked about it before. I, you know, honestly, it's it's a it was originally like a super technical bill dealing with easements. It never struck me in reading it as a. Uh, as particularly controversial, you know, with the caveat that, you know, it's super technical. So maybe there's there's stuff I just wasn't grasping about it. But but anyway, this bill's moving along. And then earlier this week, the Senate suddenly stuck an amendment onto it that essentially rolls back parts of a really controversial law that Ron DeSantis got forced through the Florida legislature last year that imposed all sorts of essentially land buying restrictions, restrictions on buying land in Florida on Chinese people, right? And this was this was a big part of uh, sort of Ron DeSantis's like campaign launch special session, presidential campaign launch uh, legislative session. Sorry, not special session, um, where this was uh, one of the bills he loved to talk about how his administration in Florida they got tough on the Chinese Communist Party because they passed this law. Um, it has been super controversial in part because uh, you know there's. There's all sorts of like it goes a lot further than just uh, prohibiting, you know, someone who's actually in the Chinese Communist Party from buying land. And so um, it's been really unpopular, uh, for instance, with the real estate industry because it's thrown all sorts of like complications into that. And so this week on this this random technical bill with uh, a dealing originally dealing with easements, the Senate threw an amendment on there that essentially rolls back or, or you know, carves some more exemptions into this this uh anti-China law that, that DeSantis signed last year. Um, and DeSantis uh, immediately uh, immediately got his backup about this, which which makes sense. This is this is a bill that he it's like he cherishes this thing. He loves to talk about this. And and so he said, and I'm taking this from a Florida politics where he said uh, what he saw what the Senate was doing is is an attempt to unwind what we've done to protect Floridians against the threat posed by China. Right. So suddenly this has become a potential issue right now. And what's most interesting about this, I think, is, you know, DeSantis, this is pretty forceful coming out against this bill. Paul Renner, the House Speaker, was asked about it um, in his uh, his post-session meet meeting with reporters yesterday. Um, and again, this comes out of the Senate, so it doesn't seem to be the House pushing it. But boy, uh, boy, Paul Renner did not seem like he was uh, was too concerned about the governor swinging away at this. You know, he his comments, he didn't commit to anything, but his comments definitely left open the idea that yeah, this law has caused some complications, and I think, uh, or you know, it's if it's had unintended consequences, we should deal with it. You know, so this looks like another area where the legislature might be willing to ignore Ron DeSantis again and pass something and dare him to uh, dare him to veto it and risk getting overridden again. You know, again, there's still two weeks left in session, just two full weeks after this, so there's there's a lot of different time for this stuff to play out, but. I think it is safe to say this is the first time now in in at least three years where we've started to see the Florida legislature actually push back in a meaningful way against Ron DeSantis. So it's it's really interesting to see how that plays out. And you're starting to see the the downsides to having run for president and then revealed that, you know, um, 
that uh, as much as people want to make you the Trump heir apparent, you, you might not actually be. And that suddenly that really changes the dynamics of your your influence with with other Republican politicians. Um, OK, we're just going to do uh, three quick ones uh, that also moved forward yesterday. These are all ones that uh, we've talked about before, but I think they're important to, to note that they are they're very much still in play. One is what uh, I think I've called the most duplicitous bill of session, and that's House Bill 1365. This is the uh, the homeless camps bill, the one that would essentially prohibit uh, local governments from allowing anyone to sleep or camp on public property, like under a highway overpass, um, unless they put them into these sanctioned camps that have things like security and running water and that sort of thing. Um, and it has always been the reason, the reason I say it's duplicitous, it's always been pretty clearly an attempt to criminalize homelessness without, without actually saying that's what you're doing. And, and we saw another example. So, so first the bill provides no funding for, for these camps that it requires people to build. Right. Um, but, but the, the big question in all of this has always been, okay, so you're going to say, you're going to say to, uh, to like the, the city of Orlando where I am that you can't let someone sleep under, under I-4 if they're sleeping there. You gotta, you gotta go put them in a camp, right? Even assuming you can, you can build one to the state specs, you got the money to do it. Um, but what if the person doesn't want to go? What if, what if the person doesn't want to essentially go live in an internment camp, right? And, and the bill doesn't answer that. And the sponsors of this stuff keep making sure not to answer it either. And so the sponsor of the House bill is a guy by the name of Sam Garrison. He's a Republican from kind of near Jacksonville. This is, he's like a he's a big deal in the Florida legislature. He's probably going to be House Speaker in a couple of years. Um, and he was asked point blank in a hearing again, what happens in that scenario? What What is it if a, if a homeless person refuses to go to one of these camps? What happens? And he would not answer. His answer was. We do not address that in this bill. We leave that to the local jurisdictions to deal with as they deem appropriate, which is an insane answer, right? Like you, you cannot pass a law that says you can't let people sleep in camps or you can't let people sleep in public and then don't really say what to do if a, if a person refuses to stop sleeping in public, right? The answer here is because it is an attempt to criminalize homelessness, despite the fact that everybody, all the supporters keep claiming, they keep claiming, no, no, this isn't about criminalizing homelessness. This is about helping homeless. No, it is absolutely about criminalizing homelessness. And and it will be until they can provide an answer to that question. What what happens to a homeless person who decides, I don't want to go live in an internment camp, right? Um, and the thing about this is... Uh, it could th this bill could get even even more dangerous here because so as i mentioned one of the challenges with this or one of the one of the one of the issues is there's no funding for these these encampments that uh cities and counties are supposed to uh to set up for homeless people that that, that they can't find shelter for um and so you know i suspect there might be an uh, there might be a big push to provide funding for this but the uh the conservative think tank the the billionaire back conservative think tank that seems to be behind this legislation uh part of its plan is it wants the state of florida to to find funding for these camps by taking funding away from permanent housing for homeless people so you know the big push um, in sort of homeless advocacy space for years has been what what is often called housing first, and that's like get people into sta stable long term housing, so that is no longer a challenge, and then you can work on the the other underlying problems. This uh, this billionaire back think tank wants to take dollars away from providing permanent housing and put it all into temporary housing, which is just a crazy idea. Um, and I suspect as, as the budget comes together, that that's going to be an issue to watch out for is 
if they come up with funding for these homeless for these encampments, where is that funding coming from? And is it coming from funding that would otherwise be going for permanent housing for folks? Um, that is uh, this bill seems pretty clearly likely to pass, given uh, the amount of juice behind it that the House sponsored. This is one, you know, assuming Ron DeSantis is even relevant anymore. He's also kind of come out in support of this idea. It's it seems unlikely they they. They walk away from session without doing something here, maybe, but you know, it'll be really important to watch the final language here and what, if anything, they do budget-wise around this. Um, okay, and I'm just going to do one last one. We've talked about this before. This is, to my money, this is probably one of the most the the most anti-worker bill of session. This is House Bill 433. Um, we've talked about it plenty. It would do three things. It would erase local living wage laws. Um, these are laws in places like Miami and Orlando and Tampa, St. Pete, um, that require government contractors to, to pay their employees more than the minimum wage and provide better benefits. And the idea is, you know, the people uh, mowing the grass in your park or building your courthouse uh, should be able to should be making enough money to be able to afford to live in your community. It would erase these local living wage laws. It would also prohibit local governments from ever passing any any laws dealing with benefits for employees. So you could never pass a law requiring, you know, pro em employers in your community to provide, you know, family leave or to provide predictive scheduling, um, you know, or what are often called fair work week ordinances. That's still not all. It would also short circuit efforts to get local governments to pass heat protection ordinances for folks that uh, for employees that work outside in extreme heat. So you're talking about particularly farm workers, construction workers, roofers, that sort of thing. Um, there has been a push in Miami to pass a pass a local law that would require employers to provide such employees with things like you know, truly basic stuff like access to to clean, cool drinking water, um, periodic breaks in the shade, that sort of thing, like truly basic stuff. The Florida legislature is going to step in and say, nope, can't even do that. So this is all in House Bill 433. And I I, I mentioned this. Um, part of the reason I wanted to mention this is um, the bill sponsor uh, was asked during a hearing on this yesterday where it, where it passed another committee in the House. She's asked if she had, and the bill sponsor is a, is a representative, Tiffany Esposito, a Republican from uh, Fort Myers, Southwest Florida area. And she was asked, have you worked with the Foundation for Government Accountability, which is um, a, another conservative billionaire-backed think tank, not not the same one behind the the homeless camp bill, but this is this is this is a different one that that focuses a lot on anti-worker legislation. So she was asked point blank, have you worked with the, the Foundation for Government Accountability? And she said no. Um, and the thing about that is uh, it's not true. <laughs> and we have the records to show that it's not true. So so the language for this bill or a lot of the language, we, we've got the emails through a public request that shows Tiffany Esposito was sent this language by a lobbyist for the Florida Chamber of Commerce. Um, <laughs> you might remember them from yesterday's show. Uh, uh, the And if you open the file that the Florida legislature, or I'm sorry, the Florida Chamber of Commerce sent uh, sent to Tiffany Esposito. The metadata shows the file was created by someone at the Florida, the Foundation for Government Accountability. So, I mean, they are absolutely involved in this bill, just like they're involved in bills to roll back child labor laws, to deny more workers access to unemployment insurance. Now, I, I'm not saying Esposito lied. The, the records show you know the the records we have it's possible she doesn't even know she's doing the foundation for government accountability's uh bidding but it's a it, it's just a reminder that a lot of the answers you see given in public um they are 
you know, to use a technical term here, bullshit. Um, okay, let's uh, let's leave it on that happy note. Um, if you haven't already, please uh, consider signing up for the newsletter. Uh, easiest way to find us is seekingrentsfl.com. Nothing. Uh, subscriptions are free. None, none of our stories are ever behind a paywall, but there is an option to, to voluntarily pay for a uh, subscription if you can afford it. Um, all right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back again um, very soon as we uh, get ready to, to, to start the home stretch of the 2024 legislative session. See you soon. Bye-bye.